Today's passage is from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, LLC. We are nearing the end of our sermon series, A Living Life As. We started the series back in the beginning of July, I believe, and it's been a few months now, and we've had quite a few different topics, uh, learning about life and the different relationships that we have in life, talking about singleness and the purpose of life, and uh, the purpose for singles, to married, to dating. Uh, we talked about sexuality, we talked about marriage, we talked about a lot of different kind of topics. And today we're on the topic of discipleship. Uh, what does a discipling relationship look like? Uh, next week will be our very last uh, sermon on this series. And in a sense, it's, we're going to learn about what it, what, what it means to be called to be people of reconciliation. As it will be a sermon on the truth and reconciliation uh, day uh, that's happening in, in a couple of weeks on the 30th there. Uh, but this will be the second last one. And we're going to be speaking on the topic of uh, discipleship here. But will you join me again in prayer as we dive into the word here? Uh, Father, we thank you again for your goodness, for your grace. And we're reminded, Lord, that without you, we can truly do nothing. So in this moment, Spirit, may you be present in us and among us. And may you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds and hearts to comprehend you and your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our family uh, has been watching a show over the last few years. It's seven years old now. I believe this is the seventh season, and it's the series Running Wild uh, with Bear Grylls. It's a new season uh, this year. It started off with Natalie Portman, and uh, where Bear, I don't know him, well, first name basis, Bear, <laughs> Bear Grylls takes these celebrities out into the wild uh, and teaching them survival skills. And then we just watched another episode uh, that featured Simu Liu, uh, the superhero, the Marvel superhero, uh, taking him out to the Canadian Rockies, uh, what it looks like to survive the winter there. But it's a survival skills reality TV show by this host, Bear Grylls, who is also Christian, by the way. You saw him in the Alpha video. Uh, he's a chief uh, scout. He's a former S special uh, British uh, Special Forces. And he takes these celebrities into these wild adventures. I think about uh, celebrities like Zac Efron, uh, Kate Winslet, Michael B. Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot one. That was really something. He, I, he was, Shaq was scaling this wall and Bear was holding him, being his anchor. He's like, you sure you got this? You sure you got this? Don't worry. Don't worry, Shaq, I got you. Uh, Julia Roberts was on the show, Roger Federer, Terry Crews, and I mentioned Natalie Portman and Simi Liu. But they, go, they take them into these different parts of the world, from the desert to the mountains, uh, to the coastline, surviving floods and wild animals, eating crazy things uh, like maggots and worms and, you know, drinking interesting things uh, as well. You can watch it for yourself. But in the middle of the wilderness, they always have this little scene, this maybe five-minute scene, 
where Bear sits down with these celebrities and asks them these super deep questions. Uh, these deep questions like, what are your deepest fears? You know, after being a celebrity for so long, what are your desires? What are your longings? And then as they're sharing, you see that part of the celebrity that you never hear in any other show ever before. And Bear kind of speaks this word of love and grace over them in that moment. It kind of reminds me of our coffee house a little bit, if you've been there, where a lot of shenanigans, a lot of things that happen in the very end. If you don't know, coffee house is a skit we used to do every single year. It was a gospel kind of outreach. And a lot of things would happen. People would dress up as Batman on stage and dance around. And then all of a sudden, they'll say, Jesus loves you at the very end. That's kind of what this show reminds me of. They do all these things like climbing mountains, uh, <laughs> finding food in the wilderness, and then Bear speaks this truth into them. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, isn't that such a great picture of what discipleship looks like that Bear is doing? Uh, just walking alongside of these celebrities, living life really in that moment in the toughest situations where their limits are pushed to the max, and he's able to have these words of encouragement over these celebrities that he's never really met before. And maybe that's what I want to start with this morning as we think about discipleship, as we think about what it looks like to walk alongside of the people that God has placed us beside, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, your coworkers, fellow students, just people walking by on the street. What does it look like to have this kind of discipleship relationship? And in, in, the, um, in maybe the Christian world, we use the, the words discipleship and mentorship kind of interchangeably. But I want to define it a little bit differently. I want to separate them this morning because they definitely have uh, inter, uh, places where they interlap uh, with one another. It's all about relationship and it's about people. It's about speaking truth and love into each other. But it is a little bit different. Mentorship, you see, is about helping someone uh, grow in a specific area of their life. You think about maybe the praise and worship team, very practical example. I want to be a drummer. Uh, what does it look like to mentor another drummer? Uh, showing him or her how to drum and how the team works and what does it look like to be a drummer or an, another musician on uh, the praise and worship team. Whereas discipleship, uh, on the other hand, includes that. It could be a part of it, but it's a little bit more holistic. It's all, it's, it includes all of life. In discipleship, the discipler puts themselves as a model in following Christ. So think about Bear, right, walking out, I've done this before, uh, follow me as I'm doing these things and you'll be fine. And I remember the episode with Natalie Portman, it's like, hey, we're going to climb the super steep mountain, don't worry, just follow this valley, uh, I'm going to go ahead of you and you'll see me there. And she's like, oh, okay, like, and, and she shows up in the bottom of the mountain and Bear's on top, so come on, come on, I'm already, you know, set the ropes up, come on, I'll show you, show you the way. And I kind of think about that in terms of discipleship, it's about uh, being the model uh, in the Christian setting of uh, following Christ, and people follow you as you follow Christ. I think about the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what discipleship is all about, holistic, all of life, where as someone follows you, as you follow Jesus. See, the Greek word in the Bible you often find, uh, the Greek word for disciple in the Bible is mathetes, and it simply means learner, pupil and it's used some 261 times mostly in the gospels mostly by jesus and also found in the book of acts as dallas willard uh, says in his book the great omission the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as christians will become disciples students apprentices practitioners of jesus christ steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. 
or Bill Hull in his book, The Complete Book of Discipleship. Discipleship isn't a program or an event. It's a way of life. It's not for a limited time, but for whole life. Discipleship isn't for beginners alone. It's for all believers for every day of their life. Discipleship isn't just one of the things the church does. It is what the church does. You see, as disciples of Christ, if we are to take our faith seriously, we are to call ourselves disciples, followers of Jesus, and we are to call ourselves a church that follows Jesus as well, the discipleship and discipling relationships ought to be part of our everyday lives as a church and as a people. And my hope for today is that we won't just learn what it means to be a disciple. Like, hey, I know the Greek word for disciples, methetes, like, you know, throw that around. Sure, you know, it can go around. Uh, but also a deeper sense of what it means for us to be disciples uh, of Jesus. And as followers of Christ, uh, we're called to disciple and to be discipled as well. That we're all called to make disciples of all nations as we're going, wherever it is that we're going. And I was talking to a young adult before this. Uh, we are talking about lingo and all that. My hope today for you young adults and youth is that you would catch the drip of Jesus and what it means to be a disciple in discipleship, what he would say about it. And I want us to discern, if we haven't already, which relationships God is leading you to steward, uh, who he's calling you to disciple, what kind of relationships does that entail, whether, again, it's friendships or your family, whether you start with your kids, if you have kids in your family, uh, those are the ones that you call to disciple, or it's to start an official discipling relationship where you reach out to someone, you're like, hey, I want to disciple you. I want to show you the ropes of what being a Christian ought to be like. No matter what it is, I'm hoping that you will be encouraged today that Jesus is calling you to, to be a disciple, but also to disciple. As English Anglican priest and evangelist David Watson once said, if we're willing to learn the meaning of real discipleship and actually to become disciples, the church in the West would be transformed and the resultant impact on society would be staggering. That if we understand what Jesus is saying here today, that it doesn't just have the opportunity to change your relationships, but perhaps a nation. Just think about that for a moment. And the big idea for us this morning is this discipleship that's all about Jesus, it's for Jesus, and it leads people to Jesus. Three points, Jesus calls people to himself, Secondly, discipleship is a call to gather and to go. And thirdly, discipleship happens personally, but also within a community. As we read passages like today, we often think, how did Simon Peter and Andrew drop everything and follow Jesus if that's the very first time that he, uh, they have met him? And we get in other accounts in the Gospels that perhaps it wasn't the very first time uh, that Jesus actually met uh, Simon, Peter, and John, uh, and Andrew. We see in John chapter 1, verse 35 to 49, John the Baptist is going around proclaiming Jesus, and he sees Jesus in the distance. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. And it, after that verse, we see later on that uh, Peter and Andrew were also there and had questions and started a a meeting Jesus for the very first time. So we get, need that uh, kind of a setting in, of, of the context here uh, to be understood in that way because Jesus has been calling for a while. That Jesus has been interacting with Peter and Andrew before they officially accepted the call to be disciples. That Jesus was already at work and present in their lives. And you see, this was not their call to faith 
or salvation or a belief in God, but this was their call to discipleship, meaning to follow God. And there's a difference. There's a difference in believing and having this head knowledge and maybe this even heart knowledge of understanding of God and not really truly be following him. This is a call not just to faith and salvation, but to discipleship, to following Jesus with everything that they have. And it's fascinating here in Mark. I love Mark for the fact that he's so brief and he gets to the point of what he thinks is most important. And he doesn't start off with this fantastic miracle. He doesn't start off with um, this miracle per se of what he's doing, of healing, of water into wine and whatnot. But he starts with a simple call. A simple call to four simple laborers. Uh, four, uh, to four common laborers. You see, uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, later on in the passage, they're working as fishermen along the Sea of Galilee. And Sea of Galilee in Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew name for it is harp, because if you look down from topographically, that's a mapping term, from above, you see it looks like, uh, uh, it looks like, it looks like a harp. Uh, so it, it means harp uh, in, in, in Hebrew. It's some 21 kilometers long, 11 kilometers wide, going as deep as 48 meters. And, and it's actually set in a depression meaning there's a lot of uh, fertile soil in the area. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds of species of fish. And fishing was a main industry along this lake, which is slightly smaller, or is it bigger, than Lake Harrison? Harrison Lake, I can't remember. It's around Harrison, or it's around the same size uh, as Harrison Lake. There's some 16 ports along its coast. So this lake, it's not huge, but it's not small either. 16 ports is a main industry of fishing. And this fish was a main staple for not just uh, Israel, uh, not just for Jerusalem, uh, uh, but for the Greco-Roman world, where some of this fish would make its way all the way to Egypt, uh, like Alexandria, all the way to Syria. And we might think that some of these fishermen, they're simple, um, and they might be, but they're also smart uh, and successful businessmen. Uh, they knew what to do. They knew how to sell the fish. They knew how to transport them. And they were doing well, because we see later on that uh, James and his brother John, their, their father Zebedee, they had uh, hired men. So it was a company, right? It was a business. It was going well. So we kind of think, hey, life wasn't good for them. So they left everything that they had for something that was better. No, life was okay. It was good. They, it was stable. They were doing what they knew. But Jesus came along and changed all of that. And this kind of sets the scene for us, the call to Jesus. Uh, it was marvelous. It was amazing. But it was also a difficult uh, choice, I'm sure, for the first disciples here. And we read in verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. What I want to highlight here in the beginning of this verse is as Jesus walked. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, as Jesus walked, as he was going, he saw what was going on around him. And this doesn't only encourage us, to keep our eyes open and, and reminds us of the opportunities that are found all around us. That as we go in our coming and going, as we go, there's these opportunities every single day. But I think there's an even bigger point here that we ought to see, I hope for us to see, is that the disciples, they were just minding their own business. They were, they were doing their own thing. They weren't searching for Jesus, but Jesus was searching for them. That's profound. That's, that, that's important for us as we understand discipleship. Jesus was searching for them. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship once wrote, it is only because he became like us 
that we can become like him, that he walked among us, that he was searching for us, that he became, he was God in the flesh walking among us so that we can, and calling us and searching for us so that we can have a life with him, relationship with him. And it is in their world, in the world of these disciples, in their fishing world, that discipleship begins. It wasn't like, hey, come to this course. <laughs> it wasn't like, come to this program. It was as they're going, he went into their context, into their world to understand them and called them. And we'll see that it is when the disciples were working on their nets and catching their fish that Jesus just shows up right then and there. Jesus shows up on their grounds, in their terms, not in a synagogue, not in a temple, not in a place that's marked holy even, but in their world. And that leads to the first point here that Jesus, when he calls, as he's going out searching, as he's going out looking for people, that Jesus' call is first a call to himself. As we read in Mark 17 here, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So as he was going, he saw, and here it says, come, follow me. It's not a call to come and do more. It's not a call to come and be better. It's not, it's not a call to do X, Y, and Z. It's a call to himself. It's a call to follow him. And when Jesus says, come follow me, it could really be understood and translated as, hey, come on, come over here. Come, come, come here. Come over to this place. Come with me. Follow me. There's this excitement to Jesus. He's like, come and see. There's this thrill to the voice uh, of, of Jesus. And this is what C.S. Lewis describes in his book, The Last Battle, as uh, they're about to go into, um, into the last battle and to go into their final home, final kingdom. Uh, there's this quote here that says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life though I never knew it till now, come further up and come further in. And that is the heart of a disciple maker. Right then and there, come. Come further up, come further in. Discipleship is this, an invitation to come further up and come further in, to see how amazing God is. It's a call to God. It's a call to see what Jesus is doing, to see what, how he is at work. And I can't really recount all the opportunities I've had over the years where I've seen what God is doing simply from an invitation where I've asked someone, hey, come and see this. Hey, come, come and taste. You know, come and taste and see the Lord is good. Come and see what God is doing here. And the same on the other hand where people have invited me into a certain context where it's like, hey, come and see. Let me just share this with you. Let me just talk about this a little bit further. Come up further and come further in. And this call is to see what God is doing because what are they seeing? What are we inviting people to see? Jesus here is the subject of the call. It's, again, it's not to do more, it's not to be, be better, but it's, a, it's the call to Jesus himself. And this is countercultural as you think about it. Jesus walking around searching for people and calling them. This is countercultural because in that time, rabbis wouldn't do that. Teachers would not do that. They would not go. Anyone with any pride, any sense of their pride and their teaching and who they are would not go out and search for disciples. They would wait for the disciples to come to them. So even Jesus in his, humil in his humility will go out and call people. It was revolutionary what Jesus was, was doing. And again, what is this call? 
Jesus, he wasn't interested in making converts. Uh, he was interested in making disciples. It wasn't just about a belief system. It was about all of life. He was make, interested in making disciples, people who would follow him and his way. Why? Not to do more again or to even be better, but to experience life to the fullest. And that can be found in God alone. So Jesus wasn't just calling them to understand and believe a set of beliefs, which we often maybe are tempted to think, or maybe what the outside world thinks about Christianity. Just, hey, you just want me to believe this and to do all this. No, this was a call to Jesus himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life, as John describes it. He is all of life. In him is life. And I mentioned this, that is a call to himself is important, because sometimes as we think about discipling, you're thinking, Doug, I, I can't disciple anyone. You don't know me. He, I, I don't, I'm not eloquent enough. I can't explain the scriptures enough. I don't have enough knowledge. I'm not enthusiastic enough, exciting enough. And sometimes we put too much pressure, too much pressure on ourselves because it's not a call to me. It's not a call to follow me in that sense. It's a call to follow me as, what, as I follow Christ. This is actually a call to Jesus himself. It's a call to Jesus. And if you think about discipling, you're not sure what to say and what to do, just keep it real simple. Keep it all about Jesus. Just keep it all about Jesus. What people need is a kind of discipling relationship that stirs their affections towards Jesus, not towards liking, if I'm discipling towards liking me more, or be like, wow, Doug has so much knowledge. He, he knows X, Y, Z. No, no, it's not, that's not what discipleship is all about. It's about helping someone stir their affections towards Jesus, to point them towards Jesus, to encourage them to be more like Christ. And over this past year, I've benefited from conversations from one of my mentors, and as he wrote in his book, Ken Shigematsu, that God in my everything, remember that God is an artist. He will not lead you to copy anyone else. Seek God for his unique vision. And I believe that's the same for you in your discipling relationships. Don't copy what someone else is doing. Don't try to be like someone else. Just be you and point the person to Jesus. And point them. And, and, and the uniqueness of who God created you to be because he's an artist, it will show up. And God will show up and he will use you. Or Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. For what? For which God prepared and advanced for us to do. God created you. God's an artist. God's amazing. He's unique. And you are unique with your certain specific set of skills and gifts and passions. And you are his handiwork. He's, you're created in Christ Jesus to do great things in which not only to create yourselves, but he's already prepared for you. So whatever challenges you're facing, whoever it is that you need to talk to, whatever mountains you feel like you're facing, God already knows. And he's already equipped you for that. That's only if we understand we're not trying to create it in ourselves, but we're trying to follow him. Because discipleship is first a call towards him. So in your conversations, in your relationships with people, maybe you're like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Does that person have a need and you end up just physically helping them with something? Well, in that moment, point them towards Jesus. Help them and remind them of their need for Christ, how he has fulfilled their need in that moment. Or... Maybe they're going through a hard time in life and they're devastated and their moments of suffering remind them maybe of the goodness of God. 
Or maybe they're struggling with something like a sin. They're ashamed of something that's not pleasing to God and they're hiding it away, but they confess that to you and they confide in you. Maybe your way of discipling in that moment is how can you gently and lovingly correct, but also help them be part, uh, how can you be part of the restoration work that God is doing in their lives? We're called to walk alongside of them, not to point them to us, but towards the goal. And this goal is to be closer to Jesus. And I'm astounded every single time I watch the Paralympics, and this is uh, Canadian Paralympian uh, Jason Dunkerley uh, and his guide, Josh uh, Karanja. Uh, he, he runs the middle distances, like the 1,500 and 5,000 meter, uh, except he's blind because he's born with a, a disease that left him blind from birth. And you think about, well, how fast can a person possibly run without seeing? Well, he runs the 1,500 meters in four minutes and seven seconds. Uh, which is fast, he's running a two-minute, 44-second-per-kilometer uh, pace. I can't even do that while seeing. So to see this, it's quite amazing. And the, what's fascinating with this, as his guide, they're tethered by the finger, and every action is mirrored. And the whole, from the beginning of the race all the way to the end, he's, he's yelling, he's whispering, and talking to Jason right beside him. The guide, Josh, is saying, come on, let's do it. Come on, keep going. 100 more meters, we're, we're, we're 200 meters away, come on, 100 more meters, we're catching up, let's go, let's go, you got this, you got this, you got this. And what if our idea of discipleship is kind of like that, that we're running alongside of each other, and we're in the race together, and we're going towards the goal together, not like, hey, the goal is over there somewhere, and you're on your own, but we walk with each other in the darkness, in the toughness, in the hardness of life, tethered together. And that's the image we get of discipleship, of Jesus coming in. Now, he's not saying, hey, I'm distant, come, right, come and find me, and then maybe I'll decide uh, whether I want a relationship with you. No, he comes and finds you and says, hey, if you want to walk with me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, I am there. I am there with you every step along the way. And this term of fishers of men, which we read in this passage, it's a fascinating one, but Jesus didn't actually invent that term fishers of men. He took this term from the philosophers of the day, which he was very uh, astute to Jesus. He understood the context and the culture. And the philosophers would use that term fishers of men because they would bait the hook with their teaching and catch disciples. So these philosophers were known to be fishers of men who used their knowledge to catch the disciples as they, they taught it. And these fishermen, uh, back in the day, they weren't using fishing rods, but they casted out these little circular nets. As James Edwards in his commentary on Mark observes, these fishermen would throw the net out in a circular motion so that it would land like a parachute on the water. And then as the weights sank, it would trap the fish among them. And then the fishermen, I guess, have to dive in and you know, kind of pull them out, which makes sense uh, in the end of the Gospel of John, right? Uh, when the disciples were out there trying to carry the fish. There's so many of them, they couldn't carry it uh, out of the water. And what does it take to be a good fisherman? I'm not sure if Linus is here. He's one of our uh, young adults here. He's an avid uh, fisher, uh, uh, fisherman. Uh, so he took us and maybe some other people at church here, Cohen and I too, and he really knows about fishing. He's like, hey, you need to put the worms up, or these are the, uh, these are the egg bait for the rainbow trout, and you got to do this different kind of technique, and you got to do this and that in order to catch the fish that you want to catch. And for us in discipleship, in the Christian setting, in the church, we need to know the kind of bait you need because you use a different kind of bait to catch different kind of fish. And it's not to lure, it's not to trap, 
is not to coerce someone into it, but because the bait that we use is, 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 is fragrant in a good way. It's good for them. So you have to be knowledgeable to be a good fisherman, but you also need to be patient in knowing the kind of fish that you're trying to catch. There's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And I believe each one of us were called into a different context for a specific reason. Because as Jesus uses people to call them to himself, what does he use as bait exactly? I want to argue this morning, and maybe think with me for a little bit, could it be that we are the bait? That we are the bait? Could it could this be what Paul means in 2 Corinthians 2.15? For we are, to be God, uh, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. That we are this pleasing aroma. As we walk, as we go, that, you don't, uh, that, that you're bringing the aroma of Christ and this relationship you have with him out into the world. And people just notice that there's something a little bit different. There's something a little bit different about you something a little bit different about the way that you see the world. And perhaps discipleship, yes, it is a call to Jesus himself, but it starts when a transformed person displays Christ to those around them. It starts with that. It's not just about techniques of how to talk to more people, but it starts with us. How am I being a deeper disciple? How am I experiencing Christ? Am I releasing this pleasing aroma uh, to, to Christ? I, we, our family was on a vacation a couple of weeks ago, and there was this little, uh, I can't remember what, how we call it, you throw um, a beanbag through, a, you know, one of the whole, um, you know the game I'm talking about. They were through one of the holes, and, and each one, we kind of play, uh, each one was labeled, like, do you, how do you age? That was the question. Uh, and then one of them was you age like fine wine, and then the other one was like milk and cheese, uh, and that was the lowest point. Uh, I was thinking about this here. It's like, well, what do we smell like to the world, <laughs> right? Like our relationship with Christ and the way that we're maturing in our discipleship, what, 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 what are we like? You know, what are pe people seeing? What are people smelling? Are people attracted not to us and what we are doing, but really to the Jesus that's in us that's releasing this pleasant aroma? And ultimately, discipleship happens when the discipler, we, we experience God so deeply that we can't help but share and we can't help but Im impact and affect those around us, whether it's in a formal setting or not. Not just officially in church ministry, but in all of life, as you're going and coming, wherever it is that you're going. Could it be, as Henry Nouwen, the Dutch priest and professor, writer and theologian, once said in his book, The Life of the Beloved, we want to live as people chosen, blessed, and broken, and thus become food for the world that we are the body of Christ, broken, so that the world can eat and taste and see just how good God is. So it is in our breaking, in our working, in our suffering, in our pain, in our breaking down of our own pride and our own selves that we become the disciples that Jesus calls us to be, so we can become who and what we need to be in order, in order to be the agents of change in the world. I'll move on a little faster. That's point number one. <laughs> Discipleship is also a call to gather and to go. We move a little quicker here. <laughs> so be fully present in these relationships. Uh, we're called to be fully present in these relationships, but not to be possessive of these people that we're called to disciple. Right? Like these are my disciples and like, oh, they belong to me. Like no one else can talk to them. 
No, like, like when we disciple, we gather people towards Jesus, but there's also a call for them to go. We see that come follow me, Jesus said, and, and what? Don't miss out that word, and, and I will send you out. And I will send you out to fish for people. There's a call to gather, and there's also a, a call to scatter and to go and to also make disciples. The purpose of gathering, the calling is for sending. And Jesus is also painting this picture uh, for them. Jesus didn't come just to help them to do better. He didn't come to help them just to be better at what they were already doing. Jesus didn't come and be like, hey, come follow me and I'll make you better fishermen and better at your craft. You'll catch more fish. <laughs> You'll be better at mending your nets, mending your boats. It wasn't to make them, uh, I mean, it wasn't a call to help make them build better programs or bigger ministries. No, the main reason why Jesus called them was to give them a new purpose altogether, to change all parts of them. And that is important. That as we come and we experience Jesus together, there will be a calling for that disciple and for maybe the relationship altogether for them to go and to do what God has called them to, to, to uh, where God has called them to go and what God has called them to do. We see that Jesus' call to discipleship is really a call to service, a call to gather, but a call to go. I know there's a lot of quotes today, but I've been impacted profoundly. As from Dallas Willard's writing in his book, Hearing God Individually, the Disciple and the Friend of Jesus, who has learned to work shoulder to shoulder with his or her Lord, stand in this world as a point of conduct between heaven and earth, a kind of Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder is in Genesis 26, where Jacob had this vision of God, uh, reminding him of the, uh, confirming the covenant he has, where there's this access between heaven and earth. Uh, so by which the angels of God may ascend from and descend into human life. Thus, the disciple stands as his on, an envoy or receiver by which the kingdom of God is conveyed into every quarter of human affairs. Could it be that in our discipling relationships, as we call to gather, that's not just to keep and to have this holy huddle, but to be reminded of what God is calling us to do, to send them out, to be this envoy receiver, what the kingdom of God is all about, but to send them out and to do great things for the kingdom. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As Jesus said, I will make you or I shall make you become fishers of men. In this gathering, in this process of gathering, there's this time that's needed. It's not automatic. It wasn't just, hey, Peter, uh, hey, John, hey, James, come and follow me. And they became like super disciples, like right in that very moment. Uh, no, they kept making mistakes over and over again. And this, this is important because discipleship, it's a process. Whether you're discipling your kids, you're discipling the, the disciple, the, your, um, the person that you're, you're, you're walking with at this moment, whether it's in the official ministry setting or not, it's important to realize that it takes time. Uh, along with a couple friends of, of ours, Jess and I, we got a chance to go to a, a beanstalk uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, a month ago or so now. And it's a co coffee festival in Vancouver, which had something like 25 different coffee roasters. It was great. Uh, unlimited coffee, uh, amazing. Uh, when we arrived, we got, um, uh, we, we got these little neat little uh, uh, brew journals, uh, these little brew journals uh, that we have. Uh, with us where you go in and you record uh, what you see. You're like, hey, where's the roaster from? Uh, what's the farmer who produced it? What's the balance like? What does it taste like? Is it sweet? Is it acidic? Is it bitter? What's the finish? Kind of like super nerdy, so amazing. 
as you're going forth, uh, you're seeing this. But discipleship, as you make a pour over coffee like this, discipleship, it's like slow coffee. Right? Just think about that for a moment. Discipleship is like slow coffee or tea. If you're a tea drinker, I don't want to offend you uh, this morning. The tea bag steeping in the tea, that works here too as well. Slow coffee can be defined as manually making your cup of coffee with care and attention. Where the slow coffee movement believes, as one blog puts it, only time gives us the best. And I want to argue for that. I think Jesus, as we're gathering here, has called us to gather around him, that discipleship is a slow process. That discipleship is really the art of taking your time, walking alongside with someone. Discipleship takes time. Relationship takes time. We can't rush it. We can't force it. We can't be so frustrated in the moment when the people we're walking with, or even in yourself, you don't follow the right thing, you don't do the right thing, you get frustrated. We can't rush it because we're talking about real lives here. And what Jesus taught and displayed, it wasn't easy for the disciples. The disciples, they fell. Just think about Mark 14, 37, where Jesus was in the garden and he was talking to Peter. Peter, are you asleep? Are you asleep right now? You had one instruction. You know, one job to stay awake for one hour. <laughs> I've been walking with you for three whole years, and this was one of my final instructions for you, and you couldn't even do that. But Jesus, in this moment of correction and grace, he still stuck with them to the very end. And ultimately, he was gathering them, he was patient with them, but ultimately, he also sent them. My final point here is this, that discipleship happens personally, but also within a community. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And what we also notice here is, don't have time to go through this in an even deeper way, but we notice that discipleship here happens within community. It happens within a group of people. Don't forget that Jesus spent most of his time with 12 disciples. As some theologians would argue, nine-tenths of his time of his ministry was spent with his 12 disciples. And even think about this context. It's Peter, Andrew, James, and John who get called together within a very short amount of time together. This shows us that the work of Jesus is not only a personal, individual work, but it's a work that forms and happens within community. That we need one another. We need each other to hold each other firm. It's a call for us as we each individually hear Jesus, that all of us hear Jesus together and walk alongside of one another. And you think about all the one another passages that we see throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament. And that's why I'm thankful for the men's ministry and the women's ministry that we gathered through yesterday. And the next one will come uh, next quarter. But we, we're, we're encouraged through our group meetings and through these, these times together to, to grow and to walk alongside each other, to disciple one another because discipleship happens within the setting of a community. And I love this, that the beginning of the church in this very small way here, uh, the New Testament church here, the community of Jesus, his church, that they're not faceless. They're not nameless. It's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. <laughs> they have a face. They have a name. With the power that Jesus had, you would have thought he would have raised the whole crowd. But he calls before here first. As I end this morning, tomorrow or early this morning is the funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. And I know it's a divisive topic. 
I know it, we might not agree on all of it, but people lined up this week. I was fascinated to follow the news. Nine kilometers worth of, of lineups over 12 hours to go and see her lying in state in the UK. It's a hot topic. It's divisive. But it can't be denied also that she visited Canada the most out of any other country. And I look forward to her, her CBC broadcast every Christmas as she did her little uh, spiel. As she said last Christmas, Christmas teaches us all the lesson that in the birth of a child, there's a new dawn with endless potential. So from what we hear, uh, she was deep in her faith in the Lord. But what you, did you know within the World Archives, there's actually a hockey puck that she's kept with a Canucks logo on it. In 2002, for her Golden Jubilee, she dropped that puck, and that puck was signed by Rain Gretzky as he was escorting her down. Marcus Naslin was at the face-off. He was instructed, you cannot skate towards the queen. You have to skate away from her, and you can't talk to her unless she talks to you, okay? Okay, Marcus? It's like, okay. Okay, we can do this. But that's within her royal archives, uh, just right then and there. That's kind of how important. But also, did you know that she planted a tree in Vancouver uh, back in 1950? One, 71 years ago, it's a tree you can still see today planted right beside Duck Pond at Queen Elizabeth Park, named not after her, but after the Queen Mother, uh, her mom, uh, Queen Elizabeth. And, and that day it was a sapling, but to this day it's a big tree, the big oak tree. It provides shade, it looks beautiful, it's home for the birds. And I want to leave you with that image this morning. Could it be in your relationships and the seeds that you plant in the, in the discipleship opportunities and relationships that you have you might not see the fruit, you might not see it happen, but could it be we would be part of what God is doing in this world, growing beautiful, amazing trees for Christ that stand firm through the rain, provide shade that looks beautiful, that provides a home for others. Could it be that through you, through your conversations, through your relationships, that we see the change that God calls us towards? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the goodness of your word again. And Lord, I see before us a sea of disciple makers, of disciples of you. So Father, this morning, may you help us to follow you closer. May you help us to love you deeper. And Lord, in the relationships that we have, you call us a disciple, Lord. May you make, uh, may you make us to real, help us to realize who those people are, whether it's within our family, to disciple our children and our family and our kids or our friends, or maybe it's within our church ministry setting. Whatever it is, Lord, we know that you call us to be your disciples, to experience your goodness, your love, but also to disciple those around us. So Lord, thank you that you choose to entrust us with the gospel to go forward from this place. And we, we, we do great things in your name, not according to our strength, but according to Christ in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.